Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I want to invite you to stay updated with me on social media and see what we are doing in the ministry. You can follow me on Facebook at John Wallace. You can follow me on Instagram at Jonathan R. Wallace. And you can follow our YouTube page at New Beginnings Huntington. I pray this message builds your faith and gives you revelation. Let's get ready for the Word of God. Hallelujah. All right, y'all. I got a lot to cover tonight. I want to try to get through Romans chapter 2, but we'll see. You never know. If we don't, that's okay. We got till now, till Jesus comes back to get through the Word of God. I don't want to miss anything. Um, so let me give you a quick announcement real quick. Uh, the gathering, Sunday at 6 o'clock. This Sunday at 6 o'clock p.m. So again, this is a service that the Lord has given us that is specifically geared. It's not going to be a message. It's not going to be a teaching service, an, evangel- uh, an evangelistic service where we're trying. If you've been reading your book, if you're in small group, you know what I'm talking about. It's a believers meeting for the gifts to be activated, for the Lord to speak to us, give us prophetic direction, encourage us, strengthen us. It's going to be powerful. So come not only ready to receive, but come ready to give. Come believing God to speak through you and to use you. And I believe we're going to do intercession. We're going to just follow the flow of the Spirit. We're going to have some guests with us. Uh, my sister and brother-in-law, they're worship pastors from, uh, from Lufkin, Timber Creek, Nacogdoches campus. Uh, they're going to come and lead worship for us. And, and just basically we'll be flowing in the Spirit the whole time. It'll be a powerful time. The Lord's going to share, shed, shed some light on some things. Uh, I'm believing it. So that's this Sunday at 6. You do not want to miss it. Amen. You know, I continue to seek the Lord because last week I, I kind of gave us a break and uh, began to teach something else for a little bit because the Spirit put it on my heart. And so I asked the Lord this week, I said, Lord, do you want us to get back to the Scripture? And He told me yes. Um, and, and because the reason why as I see it, just the real plague right now, spiritual plague that's in the church, the cancer that's really in the American church is scriptural illiteracy, bad doctrine. You know, and, and Paul actually said that in the last days, people would be deceived. They would ter- depart from the truth, the true faith, and they would follow after uh, deceptive spirits, false teachers. And so... The way that you can safeguard yourself from that is by knowing the Word of God. Um, And so, just the reality of it is the Lord just showed me that, you know, not every meeting has to just be prophetic and and everything like that, even though the the Holy Spirit did that anyways. But it's just so important for us to read the Bible, precept by precept, verse by verse, break it down. We don't have to rush because we're in some, you know, goal. We have to be done with this thing by this time. And so I'm excited. Father, we just honor your word. Thank you for this word. We don't want to hold it in low regard and low esteem. We honor you and ask you to give us revelation. Open our eyes. Give us wisdom and knowledge and discernment and understanding that comes from your word. Lord, lay this foundation, this firm foundation in our life that will that allow us to never be shaken never be shaken, never be defeated, but to always be on the solid foundation of the Word of God. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. All right, Romans 2. We're going to pick up in verse 16. That's what we got to. But before, I'm just going to read through uh, 12 through 15. We'll have it on the screen. Romans 2, verse 12, it says, When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have the law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right in God's sight. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. So a lot of people, I'll just kind of stop there for a second and just briefly touch on this. A lot of people could pull that out of context and, and kind of think, so you mean we can be made righteous by obeying the law? That's actually not what Paul is saying. Because if that was the case, then Jesus would have never have had to, to come. But I mean, you could kind of also twist that and say that it was, it's, it was actually impossible for a man to completely obey and fulfill the law because of our sinful nature before Jesus came. Uh, the point that Paul is trying to make is these Jews thought that they were proud and mighty and real high up there because they had the law. But Paul, as we're going to read in a moment, he's going to point out their hypocrisy and say, hey, y'all, just because you have this word, right? Just because you have this word doesn't make you special. It doesn't make you automatically right with God. It's actually doing what it says that makes you right with God. Amen. Uh, so he says, verse 14, even the Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they are doing is right. Uh, so basically what Paul was saying, we covered this two weeks ago, but he said the Gentiles, they never had the law. You need to think as a Jewish boy when they were growing up, they heard the stories about Moses. They knew the stories about Abraham. They knew about Isaiah and Jeremiah and, and the prophets and the, the Pentateuch and the, 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 the Old Testament. They had all of these documents that they lived by in the Jewish culture. And he said the Gentiles, they've never, they never heard about David and Goliath, right? The Gentiles never went to VBS. They weren't Jews. They didn't know any of it. And he said, yet they're actually obeying the law, the scripture, better than you guys are. And how are they doing it? He said they're doing it instinctively. Because they've been born again. They've been born of the Spirit. And when the Bible says when you walk according to the Spirit, you'll actually fulfill the law. Amen. So Paul's kind of given this rebuke to the Jews. Hey, these Gentiles who y'all think are a bunch of dirty dogs are actually doing it better than you are living by the Spirit than you high and mighty people that just, you know, that just have the book. So let's read verse 15 again. The Gentiles, he said, they demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them what they're doing is right. Verse 16. And this is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Jesus Christ will judge everyone's secret life. I want to stop on that verse for a moment and talk about judgment. The Lord told me to do that tonight. So think about this. Paul said, this is the message that I proclaim. Guys, I, I think that it's wonderful. We, we need to teach Christians about the love of God. We need to teach about the blessing of the Lord, right? God will bless your life. He'll prosper you. Amen. All that stuff. It's wonderful. It's amazing. But there is a reality that Paul also taught people 
There is a day coming where we will stand and give an account to Jesus Christ. That is a message that we need in this hour as well. And you don't have to pick or choose. You can actually preach about the love of God. You know, but think about this. It's not that you're not in the love of God when you talk about that. That's a fact. If you actually, that Jesus Christ is coming back and that we are going to stand before Him and give an account for the, all the good things or bad things that we've done. We're going to give an account to Him. How can you really love somebody and not warn them? You know, God actually uh, told Ezekiel, He said, you're a watchman. He called him a watchman. Was it, was it Tristan? Were you the one saying that that word watchman means Christian? The modern word for Christian, it means, it, I mean, one of obviously little Christ, but it, he said it means watchman. I thought that that was great because God called Ezekiel a watchman and he said, listen, he said, if you see the sword coming down and you don't blow the trumpet, their blood is on your hands. Think about that. What does a watchman do? A watchman warns people that the sword, that the acts of judgment is coming. It is coming. He said, but if you do warn them and they still reject and resist it, they'll be condemned, but your hands will be clean. You know, so there's a message in that. Guys, our job is to not convince everybody. I sat right here and told our kids this Monday night. We have a discipleship group. I said, John 14, 6. I mentioned that verse a lot, but it says, Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I told them, I said, guys, I want you to hear me. None of you have to follow Jesus. Do you know that? I said, did you guys know this? You actually don't have to be here. I want you here. Everything in me wants you here. I don't want to preach to an empty room, but I said, here's the reality. You don't have to be here. Did you know that you, you can go to hell, right? You can choose to not follow Christ. That's your choice. But what's the result? You'll go to hell because there's only one way and that's Jesus Christ. Only one way to the Father. So there is this message, this reality. He said, this is the message that I proclaim that the day, of the, uh, that the day is coming when God through Jesus Christ will judge everyone's secret life. So, let's kind of put some context in here. I want to break this down into several different layers. But the first thing is, Paul's talking about the Gentiles. And he's saying, they follow, right? They didn't have the book. You think about that. Especially back then, y'all, they didn't have printers. That didn't even come around until Martin Luther. They, you know, they had scribes that would write things out. But as, as the church was being birthed, as Paul was birthing these, this, this Gentile church, they didn't have just synagogues to run to everywhere all the time and, and, and a Bible, you know, stacks of Bibles and, and, and the Old Testament on their bookshelves. They didn't even have access really to the Word of God. So all that they had was the leaders teaching, the apostles teaching, their pastors teaching, and the Holy Spirit. They actually had to rely on the Holy Spirit to lead them into all truth. And so... They had to learn. Can you imagine that? They had to learn to walk in the Spirit. And so Paul's kind of dealing with this. He says, 
They are led by their conscience, right? So basically the Holy Spirit tells them when something's wrong. They didn't have the word at that point until Paul started writing letters to tell them what was necessarily right or wrong, black and white. They had to rely on the Holy Spirit. And Paul said, one day they're going to stand before the Lord and give an account and you'll be able to tell if what they were doing was actually right or not. So what do I mean by that? Let me kind of add some, te- to some, uh, some Scripture to follow up with this. Look at Romans 14. Romans 14, 2-13. Let's read that real quick. You know, I'm learning this more and more. But guys, people, people throw the name of God around a lot. You know, one of the favorite things that Christians like to say is God said. Why are you you even? Oh, the Holy Spirit. That's a serious thing to say. I hope hope it is the Holy Spirit. Why why are you doing what you're doing right now? Well, you know, the Lord, I just, the, the Holy Spirit told me, man, He will speak to you, but I'm just saying that's not some light thing that we just throw around. Right, because we have a motive or we have an agenda and we want everybody to be okay with it. So they know if I, if, if I want everybody to be okay with this, I'm just going to use this stamp and say the Holy Spirit said that's the stamp of the approval. And then everybody has to shut up and let me do what I'm going to do. Sometimes you just have to let, step back and say, you know what, and I'll do that. Uh, I'll give my advice to somebody all day long. This is what I think. But if you tell me the Holy Spirit said... I'm going to back up and say, okay then, do it. But here's the reality. Paul, this is how the Gentiles were living. Just the Holy Spirit's telling us you know, what to do and when to do it. And he said, yeah, that's great, but here's the reality. One day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of, of, of the Lord, of Christ. And you will see what, if what they're saying is true or not true. This is exactly what he says in Romans 14, 2-13. He said, for instance, one person believes it's all right to eat anything, but another believer uh, with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do. For God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servant? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, they will stand and receive his approval. So think about that. Who are we to judge another person's servant? At the end of the day, God does institute human authority, but Christ is the head of the church. And here's the reality. We we have to be, be obedient to Christ, but he said... Who are we to condemn someone else's servant? Their master will judge whether they stand or whether they fall. In the same way, some think one day is more holy than another day, while others think every day is alike. You should each be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. But those who worship the Lord on a special day do it to honor Him, and those who eat any kind of food do it to honor the Lord, since they give thanks to God before eating it. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also do it to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord, and if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dead. 
So kind of let's look at verse 10. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. As the scriptures say, surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare allegiance to God. Verse 12, yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So what is Paul basically saying? You had some Christians, think about this. You know, some Christians think, let's put it in modern times. You got Christians that think, well, you know, it's okay to drink. Other Christians say it's not okay to drink. What Paul's saying if somebody says, I have a conviction that I believe that this thing is acceptable, right, to do this, he says, okay, if they say the Lord said, you just let them do it because ultimately they're going to give an account to him. But here's the reality. When you say stuff like that, you better make sure that you're right and, and be, that the Lord actually gave you permission to do something. You don't just say the Lord said. Amen. Amen. So, yeah. Well, and sometimes, and that's the thing, it's not really our place, you know, to control or try to force. You think what you're doing, if you, if anything in life, if you think what you're doing is okay. That's great, but all of us are going to give an account to God. You know, the Bible says everything, there's going to be a day where every word whispered in secret will be brought forth. Every hidden thing that we've ever done is going to come to fruition. So think about this. When we, when we stand before Christ, right, it's not going to be some like closed room. That everybody's waiting outside and you go and give your personal account to God. It's going to happen in front of everybody. And those who are going to be rewarded are going to be rewarded in front of everybody. There's going to be ministers that, you know, people tore down because they had a wrong spirit that they talked bad about and, and just put down and said all these things about it. And when they stand before Christ in front of the multitudes of millions of people, they're going to be honored and rewarded by the Lord. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine like degrading a minister your whole life, talking down and, and, and trying to turn people against them and standing in line and watching them stand before the Lord and him smile and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I was pleased with what you did and give them a reward and give them a crown. And you're sitting there thinking, oh, man, I pretty much did exactly the opposite of what that person did my entire life. So here's the reality. That's what Paul was saying, that this is the message I proclaim, that the day is coming when God through Jesus Christ will judge everyone's secret life. I know it's pretty opposite of what most Christians are taught today, but guys, let me tell you something. It actually matters what we do. Do you know that? As a Christian, it actually matters what you do. You don't just live how you want to live and do what you want to do and say what you want to say. It matters what you do. It matters what you say. So, let's look at this. Um, there is two different types of judgments that I want to look at. So he says again, the day is coming when God through Christ will judge everyone's secret life. Look at Matthew 25, 31 through 45. Let's look at these two different judgments. Everybody is going to have to go through these two judgments. 
Number one, there's a judgment where God will separate the sheep from the goats. Okay, look at 31 through 45. It says, but when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered into His presence and He will separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at His left. Look at that. All the nations are going to stand before God and He's either going to put you on the right or He's going to put you on the left. What determines which side you stand on? What would you say? You don't want to go to the left. It's a pretty funny joke, but even in heaven, you're on the wrong side if you're on the left. Being, on the, being left, even in heaven, is not good. So, look what he says. The king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Look at this, guys. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then these righteous ones will reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? Look what he said. The king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it for one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Here's a crazy thought as well. The ones that actually are on the right, the thing that determined them being counted as a sheep was not just what they said, right? Oh, I, I, I believe in Jesus. He said it was what they actually did. How many Christians do you know that all that all that their all that their faith is their conf- is just a confession that they make? Yeah, I believe in Jesus, but they don't do anything. They don't help anybody. They don't they don't tend to any. They just live a selfish life. He literally said, "Look, we know you are not saved by helping sick people. You could help all the sick people in the world, and that won't get you saved." Mother Teresa was was a wonderful woman, and I don't know her personal life, (laughs) but she could help all the orphans in the world, and if she did not repent and receive Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior, she would still die and go to hell. So what is he talking about? Obviously, helping sick people and visiting people in prison and feeding people that are hungry and giving people clothes, that's not how you earn your salvation, but what's he saying here? That's what your salvation looks like expressed in action. That's what faith looks like expressed in action. So if you say, now does it make sense in in the book of James? If you say you have faith, but there's no action, can that kind of faith actually save anyone? You believe that there is one God. He said, good for you. Even the demons believe that there's one God and they shudder in fear. Well, I believe Jesus Christ is the one true Lord. That's wonderful. But if there's no action that follows that confession, it's not faith. And you won't be separated on the right side according to the Word. Are you all with me still? Uh, Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones. Into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. Look at this. Because they didn't 
confess Jesus as the Lord? No, he said, for I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And they'll reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he'll answer, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they'll go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Y'all, there's actually Christians out there, believe it or not, that they only want to do something good for people that can get them seen and give them opportunity. You know, there's people that do that. And there's going to be Christians that they just constantly, that's what they're trying to do, is they're only going to do something good if it's, if it's going to be beneficial to them. And they live their whole life just looking down and, and, and neglecting like the simple things that God's called us to do. Faith is action. Amen. Look at Matthew while we're just talking about this, Matthew chapter 7. Look at 21. Let, let this verse humble, humble all of us. Verse 21. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. Haven't we just been told our whole lives that all you have to do is simply just say, say those words out of your mouth and you're saved? Right? Isn't that what we're just told? So what do we do? We, we, we teach people that and we actually have a whole generation of, of Christians for the last 20-30 years that that's all their relationship with God is just some confession that they made one time when they were eight years old and no action. They live their whole life and never do the will of the Father at all. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. Guys, think about this. How many Christians do we actually know that are, that are pursuing a life after the will of the Father? How many Christians do we know that are actually living a life going after the will of the Father in their lives? Not a lot. Honestly, what I think that I see when I, when I look around at, at the world is, is just carnal Christianity. You live your life, you get your routine, you work in your job, you do your thing, and you kind of incorporate Jesus into it when you, when you have time, if you have time, when you feel like it, if you feel like it. And, and, and that's what we're really teaching people. And literally, he says, not everyone, this is what blows me away, Look at verse 22. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We perform many miracles in your name. But in reply to you, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Guys, I'm telling you, there's so many Christians. They've said that name, but they don't know God. They don't know God. And you know why? It's not because God's hard to know. It's because we don't do things Monday through Sunday, build things into our life to make time to know God. 
We don't, we don't get into the Word to find out who He is. If you want to know God, I'll, I'll tell you really easy where you can start. John chapter 1, we talked about it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. John 1.14, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. If you want to know who Jesus is, just get into your Word. And God will begin to reveal Himself to you through the Word. You know, statistically, did you know this? Statistically, Christians only go to church once every five weeks. Not all, all of you guys are here all the time. Praise God. But that's because we are hell-bent on building a different kind of culture at this church. I mean, I literally told, I don't know if I told y'all or I told our kids, I said, I will do this, and if, I don't care if I'm the last one that's in this room. I'll, I'll do this. Because I live with this reality that not everyone... He's not talking about Muslims in this verse. Muslims don't call Jesus the Lord. He's not talking about atheists in this verse. He's not talking. Atheists don't cast out devils in the name of Jesus and prophesy. Many people, right? Think about this. So, when we stand before God, Everybody that denied Christ, like they, these are the people that they've never accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They don't believe that. They're automatically put to the side. So now, what do you have left? Everybody throughout history that has acknowledged that name. Now what he's saying is out of that group that's left, not all of them are going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Even though they claim that he was the Lord. Here's a scary thing that I heard a, a, a man of God teach one time. When you look at that word, say many. On that day, many will say to me. You know what that word means in the Greek that's used there? It actually means majority. So think about this reality. You have this group standing here that acknowledges Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What he's saying is the majority of that group will not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. What's the majority? If you have 100%, what's the majority of 100%? At least 51%. At least. And doesn't that line up now with the parable of the, of the virgins and the oil? Half of them let their lamps burn out in the other half. It's literally at least 50% of people that claim the name of Jesus, will not even enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's why we don't have time to just sit around the campfire and sing Kumbaya and let everybody just teach what they want to teach. And we're not going to speak out about things specifically because if we do, that's not in love. People are going to die and go to hell and actually go to church their whole lives and be deceived. Can you imagine congregations of hundreds of people that are going to be waiting in that line to stand before Christ and they watch their pastor go before them and get thrown into the lake of fire? Can you imagine being a couple hundred people back and watching your pastor get thrown into the lake of fire and sitting there thinking, I serve that, I follow that man my entire life. I mean, it's, it's going to be horrifying. That's the reality. I was reading a verse just this week that Paul told Timothy. You know, he said, be on guard, like watch your life for the sake of those that you're teaching and your own salvation. Yeah. You know, Paul actually lived with that reality. He said the words. I've, 
He said, I, I, I pretty much, he said, I never get proud. I always stay humble and I always stay on guard and I always stay self-evaluating. I'm paraphrasing, obviously, because he said, I would hate to, to do all of this and then one day stand before God and find that I myself am disqualified. Guys, we really can't get complacent and get comfortable. So, the sheep from the goats, the sheep are going to be the true believers. The goats are going to be, you know, not only people that denied Christ, but they didn't do the will of the Father. They didn't do the works of faith. Guys, can I tell you too, because everybody will immediately hear verses like this and they'll go immediately to like, what about the thief on the cross? Obviously, there's exceptions. The thief, I guarantee you, if that thief would have came off that cross, he probably wouldn't have went back to his old life. He actually had genuine faith, genuine acceptance of who Christ was. But there's Christians that just constantly try to find every loophole they can in the Word. And let's just get to the root of it. Why? Because you're trying to justify something in your life. Why do people really do that? Because they want to find the bare minimum that they can do, and then I'll do that. Let's find that line where I can still be saved, but still have my carnal nature and live like hell. I want to try to find that line and walk as close as I can to it. That's what most, most people do. Uh, so, there's two judgments. The sheep from the goats. Now, let's, let's think about this. Now all of those people are wiped out. 49% are left standing there. Now there's another judgment that takes place that the Bible talks about this. And a lot of Christians don't realize this. They think, we'll just go to heaven and we all just get in, right? We all just get in and we'll all just be floating around like cupids with wings and with bows and arrows and sitting on clouds. Did you know that there's society in heaven? There's cities in heaven. In fact, here's a thought, and we're not going to get into it, but did you know that heaven, like eternity, is not even up there? That's temporary, actually. Because in Revelation, it says He's going to create a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to refine. He's going to purge the earth with fire and actually restore and recreate things. So it's like even what we consider heaven, that's, that's actually only temporary until the work is completely finished. You ever think about that? So literally, there's going to be trees in heaven. There's going to be cities in heaven. There's going to be oceans in eternity. There's going to be governments, structure. Christ taught about this. We're not just going to be floating around or just, you know, people just think it'll be a big white room and that we're just you know, laid out on our faces for eternity. That's not what the Bible teaches us. In fact, we'll read it in a moment, but Jesus actually said, if you look at the parable of the servants, the one that was given five talents, when the master came back and saw that he had taken the five talents and multiplied it, he said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You received five cities as your reward. Cities. Think about that. There will be cities in heaven, different ranks in heaven, and people will actually, depending on what you do on earth, determine you know, if, you're a, if you're just a, a, a citizen that barely got in, or a governor, a mayor of something. I'm going to show you the Scripture in just a second. So look at this. 
There's a second judgment that takes place. Look at 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. So, look what Paul said. Anyone who builds on a foundation may use a variety of materials. Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. Say reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the wall of flames. So what is this talking about? There's a second judgment that's going to take place, and it's actually an evaluation of the believer's works. Think about that. So what the Bible says is that there will be Christians. They really believe. They really they live for God. They live a holy life. Right? But they just live their whole life on this earth and they just miss it. They don't do anything of eternal value. He says that yes, they may get into heaven like a person barely escaping through the flames. But imagine everything. Can you imagine standing before God and everything that you ever did in your life just gets burned up? Like it was just meaningless. Lord, I worked this job my whole entire life and then the, you stand before the Lord and He's like, I never even told you to do that. I actually saw a video one time. I didn't think about it. We could have played it. But somebody made a video that was an interpretation of this. And it was these people coming before the judgment seat. And... <clears throat> You know, there was a, a, a man, when he stood before God, God said, Pastor Jones. And the man said, Pastor Jones? What are you talking about? Lord, I was an accountant. Lord, I opened an accounting firm and it was great and it prospered and I gave, I helped start some churches and I gave a lot and, you know, I tithed and I did all that. And he said, but I never called you to be an accountant. You were, I called you to Asia. You were going to start a network of churches in Asia. And there was going to be 12 million people that came to salvation through your ministry. So he, got, he was saved. He was a Christian. He was saved. He got to go into heaven. But everything that he did with his entire life was burn up. And then he called another person who stood before him. And he said, just flip the rolls. He said, now, Accountant Anderson, and this guy, Mr. Anderson, he stands before him and he says, Accountant? He said, I was a pastor. He said, I pastored a church of 300 people my whole life, Lord. And he said, I never called you to pastor. He said, I actually called you to the business field. And you were gonna, you were gonna, I was going to prosper you and take you to a multi-million dollar level. And through your work, there would be multitudes of ministries and churches and my, key, my, my work on the earth funded through your work, the work of your hand. But then think about this as well. I loved how it came to, to an end and it was really great. It was this, this mother. She came before the, the judgment seat of God. 
And she was crying and she was saying, I never started any churches. I never made millions of dollars. I never did any of that. And she's just worried. And, and he says, I never called you to pastor. I never called you to the mission field. I never called you to the business realm. He said, I called you to be a mother of two children and raise them up in the ways of the Lord and teach them and instruct them. And they went on to be mighty men and women of God. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. So your calling's not less than. You don't have to do some great extravagant thing. The only thing that we have to do on this earth is what He has assigned us to do. Nothing more, nothing less. That's why it's so important for believers to understand their calling and to walk in their calling. You know, the Bible says that. It says, make the most of these evil days. Redeem the time for the days of are evil. He said, understand what the Lord wants you to do and make the most of every opportunity. So, there's going to be a judgment where, where, we, where we, we stand before God and, and, and it's an award ceremony. We're going to receive a reward according to, listen to this, not according to how extravagant and amazing and who did more. You're going to receive a reward according to what God called you to do. Did you do what God called you to do? Did I do what God called me to do? You know, I'm honestly, there's times as, as a pastor, as a human, you know, you go through things, especially as a pastor. You know, when you like, I can tell you how me and my wife, even in our 20s, we've had our hearts broken and broken and broken. And, and you know, in the flesh, it gets hard. In the flesh, you begin to think like, Lord, like, I'll serve you. I'll raise my children. Lord, I got 200 acres. I could just live out here and get a good job. And man, I could raise my children up and, and serve you and love you. But the reality is, I don't have that choice. Is, is even in times where it's hard, even in times where you're like, I feel like, man, I feel like I just get drugged through the mud. It's, I, you still can't stop because you don't have a choice. What He's called you to do. You have to do what the Lord's called you to do. We'll receive a reward according to what He's called us to do. And then this is what's awesome. All the rewards are not going to be the same in heaven. So I'll show you this last few verses. We are going to receive a reward when that fire is applied. And let me just kind of, people ask, what's the fire? You know, is God going to throw, us, throw us into a furnace? No. The fire that it's talking about is the presence of God. In Acts chapter 2, what did it say? Tongues of, cloven, tongues of fire came and settled upon them. That God actually led the Israelites in the wilderness at night by a flame of fire. It was His presence. In the Revelation, it talks about Jesus and it says He has eyes like flames of fire. What does it mean like flames of fire? It's literally, a, it's just a depiction of the glory, the presence of God. It's like a pure, refining fire. 
And so we're going to stand in front of the presence of God and everything that was of the carnal nature, everything that we did in our life that was not of heaven, that was not the kingdom, it's, God's not even going to have to do anything with it. It's literally just going to burn away. And then we're going to receive a reward according to what's left when we stand in His presence. Think about, guys, think about our money. So, I'll just make this statement and then I'll read you some verses. Matthew chapter 6. Look at this in verse 19. Don't store up treasures here on the earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store up your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Think about that. Store up your treasure in heaven. So think about, just think about how people, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this, but guys, I'll also give you a statistic, and I don't want to say this because I'm not rebuking our church at all anyway. You guys are great. You guys are honestly a statistical anomaly, but did you know statistically, only four out of every 100 Christians tithe? Did you know that? Only four out of every 100 Christians statistically tithe. And so Jesus is talking about this. We're going to stand before God and there's going to be people that claim the name of Jesus. Man, they may have had a big house and nice boats and all this stuff. And all they ever did, even with their money, is just store up things that were only of earthly value. Never anything of kingdom or heavenly value. And they're going to stand before God and have these great big, look at me, right? On earth, you're a hot shot. You're so great. You're so cool. Everybody wants to be you. And they'll stand before it and it's just, just nothing. There's that, and that's what's so amazing is when we simply even just obey God's Word when it comes to the tithe, when it comes to how we invest the resource that God gives us, funding His kingdom on the earth, we actually store up treasure in heaven. What is he, what's that treasure in heaven? It's those things added to you that have heavenly value that's added to your account. Think about that. Every time that you give financially, Jesus said, to the kingdom, it's added to an account in heaven. And so you get this, you spend your whole life sowing, you spend your whole life doing this, and you're going to stand before God, and you're going to have this fat account that you've been pouring into your whole life that's just sitting up there waiting on you. And your reward is going to be according to what's in that account. Now, you don't just put things in that account through your money. I mean, through everything that you do that's of eternal value, through your action, through your time, through all kinds of things. Are you all still with me? Yeah. <laughs> so we're talking about this reward. Flip over to Matthew 25, 14 through 30. Well, we're not going to pass, get through the, we're, we're going to get through the judgment tonight. We won't get into anything else. That's okay. So the Lord told me, to talk about this. 25, 14 through 30. And again, that's why, y'all, I don't even want to just teach this. The, the, the thing the Lord's told me to do, go through the Word and teach it like I would study it. 
When I read the Bible, you know, I don't just sit here and think all in the book of Rome. Little things pop out to me and I'm like, the Lord's given us a nugget of theology right here. The Lord's given us a foundational piece that we need to visit and look at to kind of help make sense of what's going on here. So 14 through 30. Look what Jesus said. Not everybody's reward is going to be the same. Guys, I can tell you something. God is not a socialist. Socialism is not from God. Where everybody, it doesn't matter what you do, and that's what we teach people, right? It doesn't matter what you do. We're all going to get there and it's all going to be the same. That's absolutely not true. We just saw that in 1 Corinthians 3, 12 through 15. He literally said, Paul said, there will be people that barely get into heaven like a person escaping through the flames. They have nothing to show for their entire life. And there will be people that get a reward from God. So, Matthew 25, 14-30 says this. Jesus taught the same thing. Uh, he said... There we go. 14... The parable of the three servants. We touched on it, but let's read it. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, and divided it in proportion according to their abilities, and then he left on his trip. Guys, you know, the Lord actually showed me this one time when I was youth pastoring. People take this parable and we try to interpret. We like, you know, the talents are figurative and we try to give these interpretations and, and make our cool little sermon illustrations. Do you know that if we stay the truest to the context, he used money specifically. So think about this. Each person lives a different life. Let's just think about money. That's a dirty word that nobody likes to talk about. God gives you a certain portion in your life. God gives you a, shirt, a certain por a portion in your life. Your portion doesn't look like your portion. Your portion doesn't look like your portion. And now it's the now what we do with the portion that God gives us determines what we receive on Judgment Day. Think about that. And I'll tell you right now, there's Christians. And that's why the Lord gave me that, that word Sunday morning. There's Christians all day long. Like, oh yeah, I love Jesus. We'll talk about Jesus. But the minute that you mention anything like this, they get offended. Why is it? Because the Lord told me that the church worships the spirit of mammon. So, he gave them silver. He divided it into proportion of their abilities. Then he left on his trip. The servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. The servant, and think about this, and say invest. So God wants, to, wants us to invest and then earn more. How does that, think about how that applies to the law of sowing and reaping. Jesus said, don't store up treasure on this earth, store up in heaven. And we know, according to the Word, when you actually even give to the kingdom, He said that it would be multiplied and returned back to you. So, I mean, there's parallels in this that even go along with our, with our giving to the kingdom. Um, so, the servant who received five bags of silver began to invest the money and earn five more. So he came out with ten bags. 
The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received his one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, the master returned from his trip and he called them to give an account of how they used the money. Do you guys see the picture here? It's, it's literally depicting Christ gave us, he gives to us, he went into heaven and he's coming back again and we're going to give an account to him. We just read all those verses. And it says, he returned. He said, the servant whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver, verse 20, came forward with five more. Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. Think about that statement. You gave me five bags of silver to what? Be selfish? Do what I want to do? Think No, he, I gave it to you to invest. Think about that. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest. I have earned two more. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling the small amount, so I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy. Say lazy. You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew that I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But for those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here's something that's interesting. So you see that, that we are going to receive according to what we do with what God gives us. Y'all all see that? So the reward's not going to be the same in heaven. Look at Mark 10. I'm about to wrap it up. I'm sorry. Okay, cool. So I just looked it up. Uh, you don't have to turn, but look, I'll just mention this Luke 19. It's the same exact account, same story. Luke 19, 17. But he actually uses the word in this one. He says, uh, Look at verse 17 of like Luke 19, 17. He, the, the servant reported, Master, I invested your money, made ten times the original now. Well done, the king exclaimed, you're a good servant. You've been faithful with the little I entrusted you, so now you will govern ten cities as your reward. 
There's the cities that I was talking about. You'll govern ten cities as your reward. Look at that, Luke 9, 17 through the end. Make a note and read that. Last thing I want to say is this. Mark 10, 35 through 40 says this. Then James and John, the son of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request? He asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you. One at your right and the other on the left. Jesus said to them, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering that I must be baptized with? Oh, yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with the baptism of suffering. But look at this, verse 40. I have no right to say who will sit on my right or left. God has prepared those places for the one he has chosen. Think about that. There's actually seats on the right hand and on the left hand of Jesus. And he said people will sit in those seats. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine an eternity getting to sit at the right hand of the throne of Christ or at the left hand of the throne of Christ? I'm just basically dropping that to you to show you the Bible teaches that we're not all going to get the same thing. And what we get is going to be determined not on how great and amazing and how big we were, but how obedient we were to the thing that God called us to do. Amen. Uh, And so. This is why Paul said this in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He said, don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with every purpose and step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training, to, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. So what did Paul say? He said, guys, I'm living for a heavenly prize, a heavenly reward. Why did he endure what he endured? How, what, what drove him every day to get up, put his shoes on, his boots on, right? His big boy pants on and keep going. He said, I'm living for a, a reward that's not of this world. And he understood. Not everyone gets the prize. <laughs> Hallelujah. I know we tell, hey guys, we're all going to sit at the right hand. No, Paul said, we're not all going to sit there. Maybe he said, I want to sit at the right or left hand of Christ. Amen. But, you know, you can't do that from a prideful thing, like I'm going to rule over people. And if you do that, you'll completely miss it. In fact, Jesus said the greatest in the kingdom must be the greatest servant. So honestly, you ask the question, who's going to get the biggest reward in heaven? The greatest servants that were on this earth. The ones that serve the Lord on this earth. The one that served the church, served the body of Christ, served God's children on the earth. Amen. So don't overlook servanthood. 
Hallelujah. I hope, hopefully you guys got something out of that. I'm going to pray and close the service out. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray, Father, that this, that this word goes out and that everybody in here that has the spirit of God would receive revelation by it. That a light bulb would come on in their head and they would say, oh my gosh, I see something now. Something makes sense to me that I've never even thought about before. Lord, and it would shift something in our lives where we begin to think differently. We begin to live differently. We begin to operate differently on this earth. Not just living for this world, but living for eternity. We give you all praise and honor and glory tonight. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen, guys. I love you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in with me as I shared the Word of God. If you would like to become more than just a casual listener and want to give to our ministry, you can do so in the following ways. For credit or debit, go to www.nbchuntington.org donate. For PayPal, you can send it to NBC Huntington. For Cash App, use dollar sign capital NBCHTX20. Thank you so much. I pray God blesses you abundantly. Until next time, this is John Wallace.